This morning's reading comes from Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised her with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Thank you, Ian. Just over there, the microphone. Thank you, Ian. Good morning, everyone. I know also is Ian. What's going on? You're sitting there thinking, wow, has Ian read that passage? How the heck can that be a vision series? Maybe we should have called Losing Your Head for Jesus or something. Uh, it's pretty dramatic and there's a reason we'll get to about why we're at Matthew 14. Uh, no doubt, uh, like me, many of us gather in church on Sundays with many things going through our heads and hearts, you know, whether it be bike riding or how did Australia do it, the rugby last night, uh, or the drought, or what did the Archbishop say during the week that's been helpful or not. There's a whole range of things that we have in our heads and hearts as every time we gather. Um, I commend the training day to you in November. Uh, often I can assume, oh, yeah, I just know what to say, and that might be true in one sense, but often I can forget to say what I need to say in those times. So coming up in November, I really commend you to set aside some time pre-carols, pre-summer, uh, to just be refreshed in how you share the good news of Jesus with, Jesus with your friends. The combined service, I do want to say to you, we are more and more living in a culture and a time where we are so isolated from each other. We just are. So can I really commend that to you in a few weeks to gather together with the body of Christ here and just engage with others that you may not normally engage with. And not only that, it's one service on that day. 3rd of November, in the morning, one service. That means that Sunday night, normally it's free for you guys, so I want to say it to everyone, normally it's free. But actually it gets, in light of carols and Christmas and summer coming up, the end of a decade... It actually gives you a chance to maybe have afternoon tea with someone, maybe hang out with someone, maybe invite someone to the gingerbread night, maybe talk to someone about carols. It gives us a chance to do that as well. So I want to encourage you in that way. Lots happening on this rock. He will build his church is the theme for the series. I'm thankful to Greg, Jordan, all sorts of people who have gone to the trouble of, of the stage. I'm moved by what's behind me. Uh, Christ is building his church. Make no mistake about that, no matter what he said today, how it's said about what's going on in our world, our culture, Christ is doing the work as he always has done in and through his people to see his kingdom expand one soul at a time. We begin this journey 
again uh, as we jump into this space. And look, over the last few years we've been looking at Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5 to 7, we looked at Matthew 8 to 10, Matthew uh, 11 to 13, as we kept thinking about what is going on in the life of the church and the kingdom and Jesus' life. And some of you might remember a little while ago looking indeed at uh, Matthew 8 to 10 and seeing the miracles and feeling the power of what God was doing and yet at the same time feeling the weight of what it means to follow Christ. And so I want us to think about that a little bit as we get into this passage this morning, the kingdom life, the journey so far. Maybe you can remember some of these words from the end of uh, Matthew 10. I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, you will be handed over. A very direct comment. Uh, To be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings. Verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. It's not exactly a really helpful marketing campaign. They say, look, you know, come and join me. Guess what? If you join me and become a disciple of me, become a disciple of Jesus, there's a cost, a consequence. And I want you to understand that, especially in light of the direction of this series and when we land on Matthew 16. There is a cost. You'll see that cost clearly demonstrated in Matthew 14, even as you heard Ian read out that passage. There is a cost to following Jesus. Uh, and the more we are engaged as disciples, the more you will feel that weight, and I think especially in our culture. Uh, in Matthew 11 to 13, you might remember that great passage in Matthew 11. We got to it in November of last year where Jesus says, Come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And at the end of Matthew 13 you see a number of descriptions about the kingdom of God. What's it like? What is this kingdom? This invisible thing, sowing seeds, one soul at a time, moving invisibly around. And in Matthew 13:44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Matthew 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found it, wow, great value. He went and sold everything he had and brought that one pearl. The kingdom is precious. The kingdom is powerful. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net bringing in as many people as Jesus can. Os Guinness said, the kingdom of God is organic. It grows like a seed and works like leaven, secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, powerfully. And so all this is going on. And then uh, right at the end of Matthew 13, right at the end of Matthew 13, as Jesus enters his hometown, clearly his family had problems with him. They took offence at him. Uh, When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom? These powers, they asked. Isn't this like we know this guy? We've known him from as a boy. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Verse 56, aren't all his sisters with us when they did, when, uh, when did this, where did this, hap, uh, did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. So again, it's helping us realise, especially as Matthew writes his gospel as he moves us through, It's challenging. If they took offence at Jesus, guess what? They'll take offence at anyone who follows Jesus. Do you remember John 15? Guess what? If the world hates me, they're going to hate you too. Uh, And so we need to be mindful. Maybe his family didn't like him. Maybe his family were annoyed that he was getting all the attention. Perhaps he wasn't using all his powers to benefit the hometown. You can see later in Matthew 13 the implication of faith. 
You can read that later on. Whatever the reason, they refuse to believe in him. And so the kingdom, though, is moving forward, changing things, moving forward powerfully. Uh, and part of the reality is maybe, you know, you can, maybe you know someone or you know church and you just take them for granted. I think one of the greatest challenges I have as a minister is I've been in church life for so many decades now, you just forget what life is like outside of ministry. And you forget how to engage and what to do. And you can take Jesus for granted. Oh, I'm coming along Sunday morning, ever singing songs, thanks, going to go home. And we can just forget who we're talking about or who we're worshipping. Uh, during the week, I you know, just reminded myself of that because I'm a fan of Keith Green, for those who know Keith way, way back. Uh, and just listening to the way he sings, the way he sits at his keyboard and his piano and speaks, it takes me back to a lifetime ago. Uh, the, you know, Keith lost his life uh, as a very young man with his kids but uh, wow, you just sort of see the passion and the engagement I don't just like a spiritual thing you can see lots of it on YouTube but uh, oh Lord, he loved his Lord no doubt about that and it reminds me to love our Lord and so as we jump into this uh, let me pray Father, we want to honour you and live our lives according to your plan Father, help us in at all places and in all times to be faithful disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we have this situation uh, in Matthew 14. Uh, Herod, you know, the life we have, the kingdom life, sometimes we might be happy with the life we have, sometimes we may, we may not be happy with the life have. Maybe sometimes we're never satisfied. Maybe we want more or different things. Uh, Herod, um, particular uh, king, particular ruler, uh, is finding life quite challenging uh, and you'll see why and you probably picked it up. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, to his boys, his boys group, this is John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead, that is why miraculous powers were at work in him. Now, contextually, you know, Herod's hearing all sorts of stories about John, about death, about Jesus, about this resurrection from the dead and so there's all this going on. Uh, verse 3, now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. There are and always have been consequences when you point out the errors of people and when you actually do it publicly uh, and when you do it based on moral grounds. And maybe we could, on Herod's side, understand, look, would this guy just shut up? In John's point, as a prophet, as a forerunner of Jesus, and you get to see that, especially from Matthew 14, you can see it earlier in Matthew's Gospel, John had publicly condemned Herod for his incestuous marriage to his brother's wife. Make no mistake, he just, this is wrong, it shouldn't be happening, keep your hands off her, stop doing it. And when you take a stand against the tide of the day, there are issues. Uh, people want to have what they want to have and they want to have it when they want it. And it'll come at a cost and maybe you've had to stand on certain issues Maybe we won't lose our head. Maybe for us it won't end in death, but it will come at a cost at some point, either personally, job-wise, in your family, with your 
children, grandchildren, whatever, it will come at a cost if you take a stand and speak openly. John the Baptist clearly stands in the tradition of Old Testament prophets who would say what needed to be said. And you can't hide from how confronting it is. I don't want to uh, mention Catherine Duncan, but I just did, and I encourage you all to go and harass Catherine about how much she loved this story, but that's for another time. You can't hide from how brutal this story is. And it is brutal. Death, beheading, you know, blokes who can't keep their, keep their hands to themselves, a mother who wants to... What? It, there's a lot going on. You know, and we've got to understand there's a cost because that's where we land in John 16. As Jesus challenges Peter on this rock, I'm, gonna, I'm doing a work. And understand Peter wasn't exactly on the same page as Jesus at that time in Matthew 16. And then later in Matthew 16, there's a challenge there for all of us, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. And, and to do that, there are always confronting consequences. And those who preach in the pattern of John... Well, Jesus, and I don't know that Shane shared it, but of course on the training day that Langdon's running in November, at the end of that day, those who are being trained actually go out to North Beach and share the gospel. Well, that'd be fantastic. (laughs) Now that you've shared that in, I know what I'm not doing on that day. Wow. You know, love is costly. Have you noticed that, humans? Love is profoundly costly. And as we know in Jesus' case, love will lead to a consequence and even death. Love costs all of us because it says, I I need to give to someone else. You know, so keep in mind, Herod's hearing things about Jesus. There's stuff going on with the kingdom. You know, Herod's like, Herod's ruled the Illawarra for 30 years and so it's his area, it's his boundary area. Um... Mark 6, you can check that out. It's the same story there where Matthew is referring to. Uh, in Mark, he says in uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 18, for John had been constantly saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. <laughs> Maybe Herod had a guilty conscience. Do we still get guilty consciences? I don't know. Although Herod had executed, uh, you know, hadn't executed John, I think Herod knew that there was something about John. He was a righteous man. He had a way about him. My observation in culture is the more evil society becomes, the more likely its members want to get rid of a righteous person. Just, just is true. The last thing you want is people pointing out your errors culturally. I've got to confess, folks, I see that in Australia more and more, just where we are at nearly the end of this decade. So different to 2009. If you'd asked me back in 2009, what's, what'll it be like in 10 years, I wouldn't have described it like it is today. And so I've got to say to you, if you ask me what it's going to be like in what? 2029? Worse. So, Jesus' influence is growing, things are happening. Herod's divorced his first wife, he's taken his brother's wife. It's violated every law you could ever think of. Um, Morally, uh, Jewish law, and the consequences are severe. Uh, and what John viewed in moral terms, I think Herod's viewing this in political terms, what will this cost me, things like that. 
um, and to divorce his wife, you know, and to in favour of Herodias is politically explosive too in, in terms of the time of the day. Um, you know, and that's someone ringing say, if you're thinking of leaving your wife, don't do it. Take that message then and there from God. Don't do it. Uh, I've had this situation once a few uh, number of years ago in another church. An older couple came to me, very troubled. And they said, Ian, we've got some issues in our family. We want to speak to you to seek your wisdom. And that's instantly you think, oh no, what's this? I have two sons. Uh, one son's married, one son's single. The married son's in the Navy. He's in overseas. And our other son has started an affair with his wife. What should we say and what do we do? Uh, pain is going to happen. Uh, we sat, we cried, we tried to work things through, but of course uh, uh, the brother wanted what the brother wanted while the other brother was away. Um, the brother came back from overseas, um, realised his wife had left him and uh, had gone off with the brother and they never, have never spoken again and the parents have only spoken to one son. They're just... You realise there's consequences with choices. Do, do, do you get that? There's consequences with choices? Um, all very sad. You know, here's John constantly pointing out to Herod, don't do this, don't do this. It's courageous, it's bold. There's of course other groups back in the day called the Essenes who would never speak up about things like this politically. Oh, don't, just, shh, don't say anything. Uh, this trouble would eventually lead to other, other problems for, for Herod, his misbehaviour. And we know that to be true. Uh, Christians today who take a stand, let's just be direct about same-sex marriage, about abortion, about youth, whatever it might be, there's a consequence and a cost. The world won't want to hear it, the world won't want to understand it, whether it be exploitation about the poor or racism, morally. I don't want to say we've lost the battle because that would break my heart even more, but I tell you what, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, they won't understand where we're coming from. They won't understand why we're saying what we're saying. They'll say we're bigoted and all sorts of things. Uh, maybe back in the first century, uh, Nike had started and they'd started with this campaign, just don't do it. Don't speak up. Don't point out their errors. You know what's going to happen if you say something? During the week, uh, our Archbishop made some comments on Monday night at Synod and myself and Roger Lewis and uh, Peter Lanahan were there. And understand, culturally back in the day, the major difference was the fact that they did not recognise freedom of speech. They didn't recognise it, so be very careful what you say. I wonder where we're moving, but just understand that. So the Archbishop made some comments and uh, on Friday night he's uh, sent a letter out to all the rectors. Here it is. There's a whole stack of them. I've put them out on the table out there as you go if you want to get a copy of his response to the media interest. Uh, he sent it to the Herald, so I got Saturday's Herald to see if it was there. I didn't notice it was in Saturday's Herald. I haven't looked at today's paper. Maybe it's online. I didn't notice that either. I did notice Julia Baird had written an article about what he'd said. Tied in with allegedly the Archbishop saying, just leave us. Now, uh, let's understand the truth 
The truth is he's speaking to bishops, in particular the bishop at Wangaratta, who wants to ordain and develop a service for uh, two priests, I'm a priest, a priest like myself, uh, two men to be married in the church and to ordain a, a same-sex couple. So he's speaking directly to the, to the bishop to say, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, it's wrong. And you can all grab the prayer book, page 616, and see the vows that bishops make. I've had to make vows about what I'll say and how I live my life. Now, you may or may not take your vows seriously, but you make vows. So he said some stuff, and yes, in that context, he's saying, if you want to get down that path, leave the church and start your own church. I wonder how many people here think, you know, in days gone by, I wish I could take back what I've said and say it differently. Anyone here wish they could take back what they've said to anyone they love? No one. Wow! I had no idea in a perfect group. I think I do that on a weekly basis. Oh, I shouldn't have said it like that to my darling wife. I should have rephrased that. So he said something, yeah, and there's the debate. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong words. On the other hand, I totally affirm the fact that he has a right to say what he said because he too has made vows to say, I've got to do this. Now, in his letter, he says this uh, halfway down, many in society think that I should update the faith instead of guard the faith. And depending where you stand on that view, there's a world of difference. Update, culture wants us to update, get with the program. You've said vows, you'll guard the faith that's been handed down to us by apostles and prophets historically. Um, And so uh, you have to work that out. There's been a lot said about it. Uh, I hold to the fact that we want to try and model the biblical faith. And it's not easy. There's a lot of stuff on social media about it. You can go that path. You can read his article out there. I'll let him uh, speak for himself. Um, and you can see that. You know, If you jump to, don't do it right now, if you jump to Matthew 16, you can see Jesus saying, you know, in three days I'm going to be crucified. And Peter says, well, no, no, it's not going to happen to you. Don't. It's like, Peter, wrong place, wrong time. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Don't. No. And we are living in a culture and we as Christians are getting to a place where we're going to have to at some point Count the cost to either speak up or not. Herod, in this context, he's broken his covenant with his wife. He's broken the marriage with his brother Philip. He's violated Jewish law. You know, my uh, pastoral experience these days shows me uh, that those caught up, uh, and, and in case you're in this situation, I just want you know, come and talk to me afterwards. Those caught up with an affair of the heart or adultery uh, don't heed the warnings of those close to them and especially family members that's my pastoral experience so far some do but a lot don't and often I say look you are so close to the edge would you walk back away from the edge because there are such profound consequences if you take this step if you go down this path Uh, you know I sit with people I hear their stories I hear what's going on and sometimes I think if only I had more wisdom more advice better words I should have said that then why didn't I say that then I was too soft I was too hard (sighs) it's so hard to steer people away Uh, and John John made the decision no I'm speaking up I'm a fan of the Elliot's Elizabeth Elliot and her husband and uh, she was writing about pain and grief and speaking up and how do you demonstrate the love of God for someone and uh, when they mishear you she said our vision is so limited we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from something in protection from suffering. Why did John have to lose his head? 
The love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us. Not from anything it takes to make us like his son. And we can forget that. Do you know our journey is to make us more and more like Jesus? Uh, a lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. Uh, Greg, uh, when you go out now, Greg's actually designed a hammering machine that's the exit door. As each of us go out, we just get bits of us knocked off that it needs to be knocked off to make us more like Jesus. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. So it's It's challenging. Uh, and there's little doubt that in 2019 we, we don't know the outcome of the religious freedom yet. But we've enjoyed much in the decades that we are no longer enjoying today. And I'm not saying it to be negative, it's just reality. And more and more people, Christians around the world are experiencing persecution for their faith and suffering in ways that I have not yet suffered. Um, it, it just is happening. Uh, in Herod's case, his first wife's father, which you can read about in 2 Corinthians, is very unhappy, very unhappy, and Herod loses a, it loses a profound war later on. So you want to have this life of, I don't know, safety, protection? Well, let's see, let's push it further. What's the kingdom life then we really want, that you really desire? Let's see Herod as a, an example. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests. Now, some commentators say it was a very sensual dance. That could be true. Just the text doesn't say it was a sensual dance. It just says she danced. She's about 16. Um, danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised, oh, men and women, be careful what you promise. With an oath, oh, to give her whatever she asked. Now, maybe... As a male, as wit as we are, we're thinking she's going to ask for, I don't know, money, half the kingdom, a big house, who knows. <gasps> Prompted by her mother, now mums. <laughs> I haven't got any, but don't ask for that, okay? Don't tell your daughter to ask for this, bad advice. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison full stop. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Like, I, I've been disturbed about this. Like, this is a great way. So the vision we have for our church. Wow. Uh, it, it's a profound moment uh, in Scripture. Uh, Herod, of course, maybe he wanted a big note himself. Didn't want to eat humble pie. He's nervous about lots of things. Was Herod tricked? I'd, some say maybe. I, I don't know. He was threatened by the influence of another. He was threatened. Herod was threatened by the influence of John and Jesus. John was popular. And uh, he's obviously impressed by the dancing of this young girl. So he makes a ridiculous promise. Um. To me, I'm thinking, here, this is when you ring someone, so don't do that. It's like, where's his advisor sitting next to him, holding, nudging, saying, no, don't, what are you planning on saying? Don't, no, don't offer her half the... Maybe they should have spoken up. Once he's given his oath, right, he's captive. Can't go back. He's so concerned what others would think about him, isn't it? Isn't that one of our problems where we can get so concerned 
about what others think, about what we think when it comes to Jesus. As I was trawling through the Herald yesterday to try and find the letter to see if it went in, I came across, uh, I'm a fan of Lunig, I came across Lunig's cartoon. I thought it was very timely because we're so concerned about what everyone else is thinking. I hope you can see it. This is the cartoon. How do we like everybody else? Read a book, good. Watch the uh, training program. How do we like everyone else on TV? See the big sign. How do we like everybody else? Check the image of everybody else. They're all miserable. Do you really want to be like everybody else? Do I want to be? No, I don't. Um, you know, are you really wishing? I think our kids wish they could be like everybody else, but they don't really want to be. And it's up to you graciously and lovingly and gently with your arm around them. Son, let me take you for a walk and a coffee. Let me tell you what life's like. There's no gain in being like everyone else. The Christians are supposed to be distinctive. We are supposed to demonstrate love and compassion while maintaining the reality that there is only one way to connect with God through Jesus. Speaking for righteousness and speaking up will cost. You know, here's, let alone Herodias, who wanted so much and she might have been much stronger than her husband. And she arranged for the daughter to do this dance. And of course Herod was captured, smitten, enthralled. Um, yeah. You know, John was sacrificed because of the passion of another man. And you can jump back to 2 Samuel 11 to see another man, David and Bathsheba. It's not as if, it's not as if wow, this is new. I've never heard that a man's passion could result in such a thing. Life is full of it. So what's the life we choose? Uh, what's the life we're going to choose? How are we going to choose to follow Jesus? How are we going to you know, honour him in all that we do and say? Yeah, understand Jewish law forbade execution without trial. So much for that. Uh, the delivery of John's head on a platter is profoundly gruesome. You'll notice I haven't got an image on the screen. I'm getting that you get it. And what do we read? John chose to speak up. What happened? John's disciples came, took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. I don't even know how Jesus would hear such a thing. John and Jesus are very close. Now, the disciples risked their own lives in actually going and doing it anyhow. So not only is it one thing to speak up and say, no, this is wrong and this is right, it's another thing to associate with people who speak up and say, this is wrong and this is right. <laughs> it's not just, wow, because you know, some people will distance themselves. What did the Archbishop say? Oh, gee, don't know about that. <laughs> so the reality, you know, here is uh, you can make decisions in life, you can want what you want, you might be unhappy with what you have, but the kingdom of God is and always has been a threat to people in power. Mentioning the name of Jesus has a consequence. John was a threat to Herod. Uh, Getting him arrested was counter to, would, would counter his influence, hopefully, with the people. And you might desire popularity over truth, and that is true. But we are called to stand and to speak graciously and lovingly. We might get it wrong, we might make mistakes with our words, but it doesn't mean we don't speak. I've always been fascinated by Martin Luther. He said this, uh, they gave our master a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? And in 2019, brothers and sisters, at this decade's end, you absolutely have to be aware of that. You know, you've got to be willing to say, look, 
my faith that, that I you know, had as a younger man, it, it matters still. I absolutely want all my kids and grandkids to live a peaceful, harmonious, safe life. Why? Because they're perfect in every way. If I want that, then I cannot see how they're going to follow Jesus. And of course, they're not going to get that anyhow, no matter what they do. So for Pete's sake, Ian, make sure that whatever you do and whatever you say and whatever you pass on to them, it actually is a faith in Christ. Because that's the only thing that will get them from here to there. Uh, you know, there are ups and downs in life. There are troubled days ahead. And as a church, I want to see greater levels of outreach. That'll come at a cost, no doubt. Greater levels of connection with our community and those around us as we share the love of God in a confusing and incredibly rapidly changing world. But we need to take a stand. I, I was talking to Harry and Pam Goodhue about this. Uh, and you know, they were obviously sharing about how much has changed and so back in the day in the 90s when Harry became Archbishop, the Mercury, our greatest uh, ever asset, um, front page had Harry Goodhue uh, on the front page of the Mercury in a, a Steelers jumper, was that a Steelers jumper? Our boy makes good. You know, so you, for those who were born back in the 90s, the Mercury actually was quite a, a good uh, newspaper. Could you imagine that ever being said in 2019? No way! Uh, I'll have to go and Google it to see if I can find the image. But it was a different world and it's a different world today. We need to have greater levels of, of equipping, greater levels of love, more compassion. There will be more confrontation but it's not so much about what the institution is doing, it's about what am I doing with my neighbour and those around me. We've got to take a stand for the gospel. It's always been the case, but it's becoming more and more. Uh, you'll hear things about the next season in this series about KIC. You'll hear the next season about outreach to Farnborough and Unundera. You'll hear about new intern positions that are coming up. You hear about being bold and courageous regardless of the cost. Do I want to lose my head? No. But my son in ministry, who's uh, in his early 30s, who's got 30 years ahead of him, he's going to face a very different world, very different world. I want to be fearless in light of the change around me while demonstrating love and compassion. And I want to get the words right. And when I don't get them right, I want to continue to work hard at trying to work out how to get them right. But I want to make sure, no matter what, that I count the cost. And understand that in taking a stand, it's Jesus who's doing his work in and through his people that I take a stand on. And I invite you to join me in that journey. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to all of us. Lord, may it be that as we gather, process, understand and think about the work that you are doing. Father, we thank you that the work of the work you have done and we thank you that you indeed are continuing to build your church through your people, one soul at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.